0: Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome to a fresh hour dedicated to inquiry, reflection, questions, possibilities, and more, all in our effort to understand exactly what enlightenment means and what it is to be enlightened. Indeed, an hour devoted to learning something more about ourselves, an hour designed to help us integrate all of our knowledge and perhaps even challenge some of our ideas about the world we live in and the people we have become. This is an hour where we strive to evaluate knowing as inseparable from the total experience of reality. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. Every (laughs) week I read a few of your letters as our way of recognizing the important role you play in helping us to shape and improve our show in every way. Last week our conversation was all about change without thinking. Sue wrote, Although I enjoy your guests, I love it when you talk about your own ideas and work. I identified with the concept of organic programming. It has taken me all my life to realize how my family programmed me for failure. They didn't mean to, but that's just the way it was and must have also been for so many other people. If only I had realized my capabilities when I was younger, I might have been able to do more with my life. The young people who have been exposed to your books are so lucky They can change before it is too late. Well, thanks for the letter, Sue. But one thing I have learned is that it is never too late. Here's to you realizing your absolutely awesome potential still in all things, in all ways, and in this lifetime. Kevin wrote, I think I spent 45 years working so hard on not being myself and trying to be what I thought other people wanted in order for them to love me. Wow. What a change. Mercedes commented, I feel that Eldon's message is indeed take charge. I don't want to be led as much as I want to be informed. You've got that absolutely right, Mercedes. Samea wrote, and I hope I'm saying that right. I listen to your show on Hay House Radio, and I really enjoy it. I truly appreciate what you're doing. Well, thank you, Samaya. Christina wrote, thank you for provocative enlightenment. The information you provide is invaluable. I look forward to listening to the podcast each week. I oftentimes wish I could actually listen during the live broadcast so that I could participate in the show or even in the chat. Well, we're very glad you enjoy the show, Christina. And who knows, one of these days you may just be able to join us. And if you do, be sure and call in. Okay? Jerry wrote, I cannot believe just how much you give away on your site. My favorite is the forgiving program that I downloaded. It has made a remarkable difference in my life. I will be buying some of your programs when I get paid. Thank you for all you do. Well, thank you, Jerry, for the feedback and the new warm fuzzy. I'll use your letter to remind everyone of the free InterTalk MP3 programs that you can download at my site. Just go to eldentaylor.com and choose free programs from the left-hand navigation pane. We think of this as just a part of our own pay-it-forward program, so get yours today. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters, but I do invite you to opine by sending your email to eldon, E-L-D-O-N, at com, or by joining me on Facebook. You can also just leave comments on my website. I do try to read all of your letters. Obviously, we can't get them all on the air, but they do impact our programming, and I highly value your input, so once again, thank you. Now to today's show. What to expect when you die. Lately, we have had several investigating, uh, several shows, I should say, investigating the survival of consciousness beyond the grave. Indeed, Dr. Raymond Moody, the man who coined the term NDE, spent an hour with us just recently discussing his newest classification dealing with near death experiences, that of the shared death experience, or SDE. One of the first people to get international attention for their work dealing with the survival of personal consciousness following physical death, wrote about her story in a, in a pretty incredible book, I Died Three Times in 1977. Think about that. What does it mean to say you died? In medicine, death is defined as the cessation of all vital functions of the body, including the heartbeat, brain activity, including the brain stem, and breathing. Now, you you pause and you think about this for a minute. No breathing, no circulation, and no brain activity represents clinical death. Now, the other side, the most integral part which separates clinical death from somatic death, according to science, is that clinical death begins at the very onset of the symptoms of death, say right after cardiac arrest has caused the heart to stop. That's a clinical death. That's when it begins. It lasts for about four minutes, and it is the interval in which life can be brought back through CPR. After a short few minutes, death is permanent because the state of the body has gone from clinical death to brain death. A brain deprived of oxygen survives for three to seven minutes, making it the first organ to die when circulation or respiration ceases or is impeded, whatever the cause of trouble may be. After a few minutes, the brain can't be brought back to life by any means available, at least available today. This is brain death, and it's the reason why clinical death, the period in which a person can be resuscitated, is so short. Once the brain goes, the heart doesn't know how to pump, and the lungs don't know how to breathe. Why does this matter? Think of it this way. If a person dies for three minutes, are they really dead? What about the person dead for 10 minutes? No breathing, no brain activity, no heart pumping, clinically dead, brain dead, brain stem dead for 10 minutes, and then they come back. Were they really dead? The answer to these two questions forms much of the controversy surrounding NDEs and the arguments for the survival of personal consciousness beyond the grave. In brief, the naysayers quickly insist that dead for three minutes is not really dead. And then they add, show me someone dead for 10 that has returned. Well, there is a cancer survivor, Mellon Thomas Benedict. To name just but one person to go beyond this 10-minute barrier and he claims to be the longest recorded NDE in history. He was dead for a documented 90 minutes. Technically speaking, he died in 1982 from cancer and returned 90 minutes later to experience a complete remission. He states, and I quote, This body that you are in has been alive forever. It comes from an unending stream of life, going back to the Big Bang and beyond. Close quote. All right, there are many that qualify to be a guest on today's show and share with us just exactly what happens when you die. But no one, in my opinion, more qualified than today's guest, PMH Atwater. Not only is she the author of I Died Three Times in 1977, but her big book of near-death experiences, subtitled The Ultimate Guide to What Happens When We Die, is just that, the big book. Rather than just tell another story about tunnels of light, loving presences, and so forth, Atwater looks at what happens for different personalities and the ramifications and, and, and the panoply of possibilities that are all in, encompassed in these experiences. So think, what have you suffered from clinical depression? What would you find, and would it be different from the happy-go-lucky individual? What about a murder victim, or the murderer for that matter? Would there be any difference experienced when they died? PMH Atwater is a native of Twin Falls, Idaho, an area I spent some formative years in. As I said earlier, she is a pioneer on the subject of near-death experiences, as well as the subjects of the after-effects of spiritual experiences, transformations of consciousness, reality shifts, future memory, and modern generations of children and how they differ from previous generations. She earned her Letters of the Humanities LHD Doctorate from the International College of Spiritual and Psychic Studies in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, of course, in 1992, and was awarded an honorary Ph.D. in Therapeutic Counseling in March 2005 from the Alternative Medicine Institute, the Open International University University, for Complementary Medicines in Colombo, Sri Lanka. So here to answer all of our questions today then about what happens when we die is Dr. PMH Atwater. So welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Dr. Atwater. Well, I'm glad to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. Let's begin, if we can, by having you share your own story. What is it like to die three times? And why do you think it was necessary for it to be? Three times.
1: Well, you know, I can't really share my story story because uh, we're talking three hours here. I had three different experiences. Let me be very, very brief and say that the first one was January 2, 1977. It was caused by miscarriage um, and extreme hemorrhaging. It was primarily an out-of-body experience except that I could see thoughts. And I didn't uh, see thoughts in the air. And I didn't know what they were. They, they had different shapes, funny shapes, uh, didn't, different colors. I didn't like them. Um, and then I was jerked back into my body. Two days later, January 4, I had another near-death experience. This one was caused um, by a major thrombosis in the right thigh vein, which dislodged followed by the worst case of phobitis the specialist had ever heard of, let alone seen. That one was very long and complex. The first one, maybe a couple of minutes. The second one, well, you know, who's watching a clock? You know, I'll estimate maybe 15, 20 minutes. Very long, very involved, um, seeing thoughts, only this time I knew what they were, Uh, being in the void, uh, being in another dimension, seeing loved ones who died and gone on before me, including a grandfather that I had never seen, never met, did not know what he looked like. He came up and introduced himself to me, uh, seeing Jesus, having a life review, a very long, a very complicated, a very, very radical life review. And then my third one, um, March 29, so that's three months later. Um, and that was also very, very long and very complex, involved things like witnessing um, the actual creation, witnessing creation. I, I, I truly felt that I was at the center point of creation and was able to see how it works, what it is, and all of that, and was able to bring that back with me. Um, And then later that year, so we're talking the fall of the year, you know, most people, when they start talking about near-death experiences, they seem to forget that most of these experiences come from trauma or violence. So after the light show, if you will, you have a body to rebuild and return to some kind of semblance of human life again. And for me, that was very, very difficult. I had to relearn how to stand, how to walk, how to crawl, how to run, how to climb stairs, how to tell the difference between left and right, how to see properly, hear properly, and rebuild all of my belief systems. And so uh, in the fall of that year, September, October, I had three major relapses, one of which was adrenal failure. I was working then as a bank analyst with a blood pressure reading of 60 over 60 which means I was on a slab and I wasn't doing too well. Um, and it took me a full year to really be human again. I won't say I was well. I won't say I conquered all the problems, but I can say that I was, uh, that I was human again. And the one thing that stands out in my own cases, at least um, episodes, at least the third one, was when I was at that point of uh, what I consider to be the center point of creation, a voice spoke. Now, now this voice wasn't like you and me. It wasn't like a human voice. It was, it was a voice that was was so big. You know, how do you describe this kind of voice? It's like it filled the entire universe. And this voice said to me, and I quote, test revelation. You are to do the research. One book for each death. Book one was not named, it named books two and three. It showed me what all this meant, what was to be in each book, but not how to do the work. And then I was sent back. I'm a cop's kid, I was raised in a police station, and so police investigative techniques, which my my father taught me, uh, beginning at the ripe old age of nine, if you can believe it, uh, Mm -hmm. that became my protocol. And it I went out
0: law enforcement, so yeah.
1: yeah, I went out all by myself, not knowing i've never heard of Raymond Moody, never heard of his book um, didn 't know anything. All I knew was this voice, which I call the voice like none other, which I mm-hmm. believe to be of God, said, "I have to research all of this, and I never heard about the name near-death experience until I met Kubler-Ross, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, at Mm O'Hare Airport. And her plane was late. I recognized her. I walked over to her, introduced myself, and we sat on a bench, the two of us, for over an hour, and told her about my experiences. And she was the one who validated them and said I was a near-death experiencer. Well, no, she, she didn't use the term experiencer. She said survivor. I was a near-death survivor, but when her descriptions were over, and by the way, she never mentioned Moody or, or Life After Life. When her description was over, it really, in my mind, caused more questions than it gave answers. So right after that is when I began my research. It was about three, almost four years later that Ken Ring found out what I was doing uh, found out about it through that little book you mentioned. I died three times in 1977, <laughs> originally just self-published a little thing. Um, he tracked me down by telephone, came over. Uh, we spent the night with my husband and myself, and, um, he, I mean, we talked the whole night through. And he said to me, uh, he was awestruck, and he said, you're ahead of the rest of us. You know more than the rest of us do. It's now time for you to meet your peer group and and find out about, you know, what the rest of us know. So I went up to Storrs, Connecticut, and went through the archives of the International Association of Near-Death Studies. And, um, you know, the rest is history. And, right. I've, <laughs> you know, I've been this one, Eldon, in the background, sort of this scruffy little maverick that's been saying, now, wait a minute, guys, this isn't what I found. Uh, this is what I found. And, uh, you know, I've been working with more people than you, and I, I, you know, I don't depend on questionnaires. You can't because you wind up using language in advance of the individual. You cannot do good research on consciousness with questionnaires. It, it's okay, but it's not good enough. It's not deep enough. It's not thorough enough.
0: Especially on a subject like this, because the question itself predisposes the the,
1: right. the
0: aspect of the memory, and, and and yeah, my dad, I, I totally my dad to, was
1: a gumshoe. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he taught me how to be a good gumshoe. So
0: yeah, right. all of my I, work you, is
1: original in the field stuff.
0: I spent a lot of time running investigations myself, and I you know, and for that matter, specializing in forensic hypnosis, and I've testified. Really? You know, if if you say to someone. Uh, that says a, a witness in a in a, a robbery, yeah. and and or, and you say to them how tall was he? You have already told them that you it's blown a it. male. You've you it. You know, that's right. You know, so you're absolutely right. I get that totally. Tell me something, just out of curiosity. You did later then uh, get a picture of your grandfather and verify that this was Years grandfather.
1: later. I was able to go through the historical data in uh, southwestern Kansas. And I found a newspaper um, with his photograph and his name and all about him. And I was shocked to find, I don't look like him, but I was shocked to find that his personality is like mine. And, and, and you know, I, I, I've i always been the maverick in my own family as well. I don't match anybody. So it, it was like a match. It's like, wow, you know, this is where this yeah. comes from.
0: <laughs> that's cool. All right. Now, you said you had to rebuild your belief system. I rebuilt everything. An, okay. But it, now that, that presupposes you went in with a belief system. I, I assume this would be a religious belief system and as a result of what happened, um, you know, it challenged what you'd believe. Tell us about the rebuilding of your belief system.
1: Um, I had five fathers, two mothers wound up raising myself. I was raised by Norwegian Lutherans, um, eventually became a Methodist, married in the Methodist church, very devoted And then uh, as a family, we all got together and discussed um, why are we going to church, what are we going to church for, what are we getting out of it. And we discovered that what we want is to learn more about prayer, and we're not getting that. What we want is to form a personal relationship with God, and we're not getting that. So we, as a family, voted to get out to cancel our membership and to get out of the Methodist Church and to give each person freedom to go go their own way, find their own church or their own religion or their own spiritual practice, and you know do their own thing. And Mm -hmm. in my life, my life uh, took me uh, the more metaphysical route. Uh, the root of psychic phenomena and, and all these kinds of juicy, wonderful things that, you know, we don't know really what to do with them, but they're out there. And so I formed Inner Forum, Idaho's 1st nonprofit metaphysical corporation, um, designed to bring in all different kinds of speakers, authorities in their field, uh, public programs, so they could present their uh, their ideas, their talks, and that the public could decide for themselves. You know, you wouldn't be going so, around to the newsstand. You, you you'd have the real item right there. You could talk to and so forth. And I actually went around to all the major churches. Yeah, uh, we were living then in Boise, Idaho, and introduced myself, told them about Interform, what we were doing, so that they would. Know that we were not some kind of devil worshipers, strange, funny people, but we were just trying to get to the truth. And, and from that, I developed, um, gee, I don't know what to call it. Um, a type of, of faith that was active, uh, with prayer and, and, and in the hospital with prayer and, and with people and, and, um, uh, found out that you know I was really good at psychokinesis or you know any of these kinds of of wonderful things and and so I did all kinds of research and and inner form became so large that through that avenue, um, I was able to research and study and work with over three thousand people. Uh, doing actual tests, experiments, lab work, you name it, um, finding out wanna, where is this coming from.
0: And we're going to want to get into that now in the next half hour. But I guess the bottom line is this was not a religious experience. This was a spiritual experience. Absolutely. It, it Absolutely. Didn't baptize you into a new faith. All right. Well, we're coming up on a on a very hard break. I want to know when we come back if your connection to God, as well as your psychic abilities or psychic interests, uh, bonded heavier. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment on Hay House Radio. We're talking with Dr. Atwater about what happens when you die. If you're in our chat room, we have a film for you featuring an interesting explanation by Dr. Atwater. If you're not there, you can go there now. Go to eldentaylor.com forward slash chat. Stay with us during the break. You won't want to miss what's coming up in the next half of the show. We'll be right back after these words from our friends.
1: Do you feel like you've become lost in a funhouse? Only seeing the reflection of yourself, past, future, and present, but unable to find the real you? I invite you to step through the doorway and onto the path leading to understanding of your mind your choices, and the influences that surround you. Read Elton Taylor's New York Times best-selling book, Choices and Illusions, now expanded, updated, and revised. It will provide you with real-life examples of how you can break free from your current perceptions and begin your journey to how high is up. Get your copy today from all bookstores or online from Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. Close your eyes. Imagine your goals and dreams. What's preventing you from accomplishing them? Most often, we are our own worst enemies. I can't. I'm not good enough. It's time to reprogram that inner dialogue. Replace all those negative self-images with, I'm good. I am powerful. I can do anything. Eldon Taylor's InnerTalk patented subliminal technology does just that. Researched at numerous universities such as Stanford, and by governments such as Mexico and Germany, InnerTalk has repeatedly been proven effective at changing your self-talk. Stop imagining your goals and make them a reality today. Visit www.intertalk.com. That's i-n-n-e-r-t-a-l-k.com. Intertalk.com.
0: Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're discussing what happens when you die with Dr. PMH Atwater, based specifically around her book, the Big uh, the Big Book of Near Death Experiences. But before we get back to today's show, I want to invite you to like our Facebook fan page for Provocative Enlightenment Radio. As a fan of the show, you will receive special announcements and incentives from time to time as our way of thanking you for your support. Indeed, I know that there is a free gift coming up, a kind of thing that you would really like to be able to redeem, a downloadable. So you want to you go to that fan page, or, you know, go to the Provocative Enlightenment uh, radio page and become a fan. I would also like to invite you to join me on Facebook while you're there. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter. All right, let's get back to the show. Before the break, we were discussing uh, with Dr. Atwater, the nature of this experience as being a spiritual experience, not a religious experience. Now, Dr. Atwater, b- before we get into just exactly what it is that I can expect when I die, and some of, you know, some of what separates your materials so dramatically from the crowd, uh, I recently spoke with Dr. Kevin Nelson, and I think you know who he is. He believes that not all NDEs are indeed valid as a true NDE. His research and published journal articles suggest that some may be REM intrusions. Now, when I spoke with him, he was very forthright in stating that he was not saying there was no such thing as life after death or an NDE for that matter, but that the neurological evidence indicated that the same areas of the brain were active during NDEs, As during REM, and not just in humans, but in other animals as well. Dogs, as a case in point. What's your take on Nelson's work and this idea that some may be REM intrusions? I mean, I know in chapter three of your book, you basically uh, you basically say, are all the claims true? So I'm I'm going to ask you, what's your answer? Uh,
1: um, This gentleman's work has all been uh, what's the word, um, straightened out, if you will, uh, by clinical research, we are, we are now able to show that what he is saying is, uh, not completely true. And the research he's basing this on is faulty research with with people and the assumptions that he's making, the way he went about doing this. You will find my answer to him in the back of my latest book, uh, Near-Death Experiences, the rest of the story, um, as well as my answer to a number of other people who um, uh, have uh, skeptical ideas about the near-death experience and express real challenges to the near-death experience. Every one of these challenges, by the way, has been met clinically and overthrown clinically if you want.
0: Uh, I'm not aware of that now and I follow this one real close because I am a believer in NDE's. I've talked with Kevin at great length. I've talked with a number of others, Ray Moody, uh, Jack Turner. Uh, I'm not aware of any clinical paper uh, that has overturned his findings. So please, uh, what paper is that?
1: Um... I don't have all this memorized. It, it's all in my book, the references. Um, you can also, book, book? also get the book Science and the Near-Death Experience by Chris Carter. He goes I, I've, in, I've
0: talked to Chris Carter. I've had Chris okay. Carter on the show. Now, I, I don't want to take this or make an issue out of this. I just want to – I'm going to ask – I'm going to reframe this. I think, first of all, just by way of background for our audience, I believe Kevin Nelson – has been picked up by uh, a number of skeptics, and uh, his findings have been used by them to say there is no such thing as an NDE, which puts NDE researchers on muscle, and they're prepared to immediately respond, criticize, etc. That's just a fact. Now, the investigator in me spoke with Nelson. Nelson says, "No, I'm not saying that at all." So let's let's reframe this. Let's put it this way. Do you believe that all reported NDEs are indeed factual? I mean, Ray Moody talks about uh uh you know, I have an NDE and uh, this is an actual case uh and I meet Elvis. Uh that sounds rather like a fantasy formation. Uh given the marginal differences of uh, how long a person can can be unconscious and uh and, and, you know, how the brain works, et cetera, how we know you can stimulate it. You, you indeed cover some of that. Persinger's work is a case in point. Do you believe that all NDEs reported are are correct, are literal? Or no, are there some no. that are just okay?
1: No. So, uh, some, all right, so some that's of where I'm suspect. going. Uh, indeed, then no.
0: then and, what and, criteria do you use, Dr. Atwater? to distinguish between the genuine and, um, you know, that which may be coming from whatever mechanism we want to we call it?
1: The first thing I do, if I can, is I meet with the family. The second thing I do, if I can, is I meet with the health caregivers. Um, the main thing I do is I test the after-effects because it's the after effects that tell more, as far as I'm concerned, than the experience itself. You can't talk about the experience without talking about the after effects, because it's the after effects that validate the experience, not the other way around. Um, So um, I delve very deeply into that, and I track that, and I verify that.
0: Do you look to see if there are any predispositions that may have uh, existed with the individual? To
1: the best of my ability, I do.
0: Okay, now i got a fair question, I think, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but Wikipedia says that you've been investigating psychic phenomena and altered states of consciousness and the like since 1966. That's correct. If that's the instance, were you predisposed at all?
1: Was I predisposed to have this?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, if you're investigating psychic uh, influences, I mean, you, you have a predisposition, uh, 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 an interest in it, 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 an entire area of, of, of this kind then, of thing. Do you think it predisposed your experience? That's my question.
1: As a personality, I have been challenging the world around me since I was, five, since I was about four years old. Uh-huh. I did my first double-blind study with a control group at the age of five. So am I a questioner? I'm, I'm a questioner by nature. Mm-hmm. I've grown up that way because I was born with dyslexia and anesthesia at a time when nobody knew anything about that. The first grade for me was incredible trauma. Um, You know, I I won't go into the horrors I faced in the first grade. Um, Let me say that I just simply grew up questioning everything. So would I be a kind of person that would um, be preferable to do research? The answer to that would be yes. I would be the kind of individual you would want to do this kind of work. Um, okay, that's my nature.
0: It, let, let me let me restate it. I'm going to take a question from the chat room. Kevin in the chat room asks it this way: When you had your first NDE, i quote, "She said she saw Jesus. How did no, that she was know in my it second was?" One. Okay, second. I'm here, I'm reading Kevin. Okay. Okay. Uh, where 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 was I? How did she know it was Jesus? Did someone tell her that uh, he was Jesus, or did she associate her earthly experience? and bias, and apply that to her NDE, maybe this person was her spirit guide.
1: I just simply knew. And it was six years later, about six or seven years later, that I was doing some research on the historical Jesus and was able to find the existence of two scrolls. These are literal Uh, One's in a museum in Rome, and I forget where the other one is. Uh, It's in my book. Let's see, which of my books do I talk about this? I think Beyond the Light, where I give you the actual footnotes of where these scrolls are. And in these scrolls, they say that Jesus was exceptionally tall. He was... um, You're talking
0: about the Dead Sea Scrolls?
1: uh, no, I'm talking about scrolls that were written at the time describing what Jesus looked like. Okay. And these two scrolls that. do exist, that mm-hmm. um, he was exceptionally tall, that he had red-gold hair and eyes that were either light gray or light blue. Uh, he had the same skin color as everybody else, but his tallness, uh, the color of his hair, the color of his eyes made him distinctive. That's exactly the individual I saw, and it was only at that moment that I made that connection that this was really, really what I saw. This truly was the individual I saw, that that I knew that at the time, now I could validate it. I could validate it with historical fact.
0: Um, Richard says out of the chat room, try this one on. He says, the Bible says in brief, don't do this stuff. Here we are taking to dead, talking to the dead, I'm sorry, going out of body, etc., etc. Seems that most of this was, is a no no in terms of traditional Jewish Christian literature. And I've read a lot of metaphysical literature. They all seem to have a different truth about who Jesus is. He says he's the Son of God. Every spiritualist seems to talk of a great leader, prophet sort of concept. It is disconcerting when apparently so much hangs in the balance and there is so much diversity of truth revealed. Multiple versions of the truth can't be all the truth. Richard's question, I guess, comes back to, you know, if you were uh, a Muslim, would would you see something other than Jesus? Would, you know, uh, is there a predisposition?
1: To I a predisposition?
0: Mean, Two point, but Beta. it's not
1: that strong. It's not that strong. Uh, for instance, this, this very um, the devoted Jewish num- uh, woman in my book, Beyond the Light, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus appeared in her near-death experience, and she was incensed. She was insulted. And she challenged Jesus, said, what are you doing here? I don't believe in you. Um, and I talk about that in the book, Beyond the Light. Um, so, sometimes you can link it to predisposition but most of the time you can't and all of this is documented in near death experiences the rest of the story and in the toward the back second half of that book is a chapter on the new christology where i really challenge all these people who talk about jesus or talk about the Bible or, or, or Christianity, um, and, and a lot of these stories differ when you get the narrative back of uh, of the individual experiencers. So I say, you know, what is truth? What do we really believe? What's really going on in these experiences? And I click in and show that it's consciousness, that what we're looking at here, you can say a higher consciousness, a greater consciousness, a oneness kind of consciousness. We're looking at a consciousness that is very vivid, that is shown in most of these experiences And and the people themselves, not having a language to describe this, do the best that they can with the language they have. So there's certainly a constraint of language here. Uh, And and I show that. um, uh, the, The fundamentalist language, the more liberal kind of language. You know, how do we describe these experiences when we don't have words to describe them? But if you look at the after effects, that's what's exciting, Eldon, because if you really look at all the data on the near-death experience, not just mine but everybody else's, but especially mine, you begin to notice that the near-death experience is not any kind of anomaly, but rather is part of the larger genre of transformations of consciousness, no matter how caused. And if you really examine that, transformations of consciousness and and the, the after effects that's similar to all of them, you begin to realize that, you know, when you come back from one of these experiences, no matter how long you're dead, and by the way, the longest is three days, and that was in Tbilisi, Georgia. So... Um,
0: Documented?
1: Uh, yes, documented. George Uh And that I didn't... talk about that in Beyond the Light as well. Unfortunately, hey. George is no longer uh, living. Uh, but there's a number of them that were dead for, uh, you know, a number of hours, mm-hmm. came back. In, uh, uh, well, I, anyway, if you really look at all of it, the, they're coming back smarter than they were before. Uh, time after time after time.
0: It, now, when it, you say smarter, you're not talking about intelligence quotient. I'm you're talking, talking about, about living wiser.
1: I'm talking about intelligence. I'm talking about IQ. You can really? also talk about wisdom, but I'm talking IQ.
0: The actual pre and yes, post-tests of IQ?
1: Yes, yes, documented, especially Which book with is children. that in?
0: Which book is um, that in?
1: That is certainly in uh, near-death experiences, the rest of the story, um, with children, the new children and near-death experiences. I believe it's mentioned also in the big book.
0: Um, I missed that. I read the big book. I missed that. Documented. Um, IQ changes, but okay. You know, we, we, we only have about eight minutes to but, the but show. We're we're, really we could go on and on. Is it biological <laughs> us, imperative? Yeah. tell us what, what is it that we expect, uh, when we die? What what are we going to, I mean, you know, is the murderer going to have a different event than the person that was murdered? Uh, if I'm clinically depressed, will it be different than if I'm a happy go lucky? What is it I can expect?
1: You can expect a continuance of thought. You can expect a continuance of memory. You can expect a continuance of imagery. You can expect a continuance of motion. You can expect a continuance of what we call activity. You can expect to meet yourself. You can expect. And that that true self is your soul. You can expect to meet your soul. You can expect to meet who you really are. You can expect to meet a light that is brighter than a million suns, that knows your name and knows all about you. You can expect some kind of episode or scenario that helps you to take a look at the growth factor of you yourself and what you're learning and what you're doing what you've missed what you've goofed um, the mistakes you've made you'll have an opportunity to look at all of that in some manner in some way Uh, you know you'll have this opportunity to meet
0: yourself so uh, I, I guess you know, does I mean, is that an underlying explanation for why, or you know, why we believe at least there are things like poltergeists and bad spirits and hauntings and so on and so forth? I mean, the the fact is, you're not getting any smarter just because you died if you're if you're filled with animus and uh, anger and uh, well, that has to well, do with, you, the, human that, that to do with the human personality. You just continue that. That has
1: to do with the human personality.
0: Right, but you're saying you 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 your thoughts you'll, continue, you'll so you just to continue along those thoughts. Would you do you I, look at it objectively, or are you entrenched for different in your thoughts?
1: Uh huh. It's going to be different. The scenario, the actual, the actuality It's going to be different for different people. I can't okay. give you a
0: standard. No, no, no I understand that, there isn't that, any. I I understand that, but what I'm asking is then is that you're understanding that. Uh, you know, there are, you know, bad people in the world and, uh, when they die, well, they're, you know, they are not necessarily, um, healed overnight. We, we to, to use the genre that I don't really like good and bad. Uh, they may continue to be bad and they may be behind the so-called hauntings and bad spirits. I mean, is that, is that no, a fair take that, on what you're saying?
1: No, it's not that simple. We come Please to explain. Let me give you an example. I, I was I was giving a talk at a very large hall, and some of the things I like to do is uh, invite people in the audience who've never been able to talk about their near-death experience before to come to the uh, come to the lectern. So I ha- had two people volunteer, uh, a man and a woman. The man came first. I would guess his age to be oh maybe um, early early thirties. And he described his experience, and it was one of these beautiful ones, very heavenly, very loving. And, he, he, um, and there wasn't hardly a dry eye in the place. And when he was through, he shocked everybody by saying this was the worst thing that ever happened to him in his life. He was cursed by this experience. He wished it never happened. He, he, he thought it was awful. And then a woman stood up and talked about her experience. And it was dark, and it was violent, and there was high winds, and there was thunder. And she was in a whirlpool, and she was being sucked down, and she had to fight her way to the shore. And she, too, shocked everybody by saying this was the best thing that ever happened to her. Because it showed her that always, always we have a second chance, that always we can overcome whatever it is that happens to us. And it was at that moment that I dropped any idea of positive-negative. Eldon, you can't assume generalities. Because when we're talking about the near-death experience and when we're talking about the afterlife and when we're talking about the soul, it does not necessarily work the way we think it would. And we can't use judgmental terms because we really don't know how or why of anything. What we know is that the soul has a will of its own and it does not think like we do. What we know is that there's a higher law. And that higher law t- takes in all that we are. Not just what we seem to be or what we demonstrate with our personality.
0: All right. Let's 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 go to the phone. We've we've been ignoring our telephones. Let's see if we can at least get a caller in here. I believe on line one, we have Carlos out of St. Louis, Missouri. Carlos, yes. is it? Uh, welcome yes, to it the is show. Hello,
1: right. thank you. How are you?
0: And we're excellent today. You have a question Great. for Dr. Atwater.
1: Yes, I have been listening to the show and I am very confused by the statements that Dr. Atwater is making. Uh, First of all, she made a statement that um, she saw a figure, she believed it to be Jesus Christ, he had eyes of a certain color, hair of a certain color, and the skin type of everyone else. First question, what does that mean? The skin type of everyone else. I didn't get it. And that part, uh, in the arabic countries so i'd be talking about kind of like a golden tan mm-hmm. uh, or a, a light brownish oh, a color
0: no. Oh, okay. no no in the
1: arabic countries dear no. and, and that, pro-
0: and that was, i'm sorry i'm sorry ladies but my producer is telling me that we we are out of time uh dr atwater how could uh Corliss, get a hold of you, or how could our listening audience uh, reach you to uh, communicate with you? You want to give us that real quickly?
1: Uh,
0: www.pmhatwater.com. Pmhatwater.com. The book is the big book of near death experiences. It is a great book. It is a great read. It is indeed a big book. I highly suggest that. And, and I recently got the I Died Seven Times on my Kindle. It is only available Kindle. But it, is, it, too, is a great read. All right. <clears throat> We've come to the end of another hour of provocative enlightenment. And I want to thank you all for joining us, and I hope you've enjoyed our show, and we'll join us again next week, same time, same place. We promise to be provocative. We do our best to get to the bottom of what we consider to be the truth. We love your comments on our show, so please send them. In between times, between now and when I talk to you next, believing in yourself always matters.